Welcome to another Analytica podcast, this time with Andrea Learned, digital thought leadership strategist known for her writing and counsel with regards to climate action and sustainability, and Stephanie Stuckey-Benfield, Chief Resilience Officer at the Mayor's Office in the City of Atlanta and 100 Resilient Cities, pioneered and funded by the Rockefeller Foundation. So, Andrea, within your capacity as a thought leadership strategist that works in this field, I'm sure you appreciate, as, as we do all, that social is a really important aspect for environmental action these days. Why is that so? Well, I guess, especially in the U.S. these days and just in general, I think you're seeing that the the masses in the world are realizing that we actually have to see this as activism in a way now, that our interest in climate action isn't just sort of a nice to have or we're really focused on this or that policy change. We, I think more people from, you know, general citizen level on up to people like me who work in this space and all the NGOs and nonprofits are seeing any attention to environment and climate action really being threatened and potentially being lost, but we can use Twitter as a way to be activists and to be putting out facts and to be challenging climate change deniers and sort of really kind of saturating the social space with the reality and the facts of climate action. I think that social lends this thing that we can do in between, you know, while we're standing at line at the coffee shop or while we're, there's, it's, a, it's a quick thing that we can do to add to the masses and make sure that the conversation on climate change, climate action facts is really out there and we can counter the denying. So I think social media really is important now. Absolutely, and I can appreciate that there are probably many businesses, and both corporate and, and SMEs, that that are trying to engage on that level, so that when when those companies come to you and and engage you as a as a strategist as a consultant, from our experience, we know that sometimes companies have find challenges in getting their communications objectives aligned with where they're supposed to be working with influencers when they're in social, and that that's not just a broadcast channel. Um, what's, what's your experience been with that, and, and how has that hurdle been taken by, by some of your clients? Well, that, that, is a, that is like the top question, and I really appreciate um, that you posed it in this conversation, because what I see is there is this sort of assumption that it is just a broadcast channel, that it is a messaging channel, messaging channel that it is just an addition. It's sort of like public relations, and you're checking off a list. Oh, did we post that? thing, you know, do we post that link? Oh, good. I think that traditional communications um, has a role and sees it as their job to be putting out these messages and posting things, but I think the subtlety and the nuance of you leveraging influencer engagement with, and that being, in my case, really particularly a particular leader is hugely powerful because individual human beings have much more possibility to be authentic and thus to be followed and really listened to on Twitter. Whereas if you follow an organization and they do a perfectly fine job with images and graphics and they've got a regularly scheduled tweet at noon and two and four and six, you really, in my mind, a human being is going to kind of glaze over. Yeah, okay, that organization is for climate, whatever, and I've been following them, and they've got good graphics, and their blog posts are great. What is the human who's reading that? What is that person thinking? How can I figure out who the influencers are that they're learning from so that I, too, can learn from them? So I think there's a huge benefit to growing and developing the influencer's Twitter handle or social media presence just in general beyond the organization's 
And I think that it, it doesn't take it doesn't take away from the organization at all. It actually further amplifies it, if not exponentially, for the say one leader and their organization to be, you know, kind of combining their efforts. People don't want to follow a bunch of, you know, accounts that are really scripted. And so I think the human aspect is huge and way too few um, companies and organizations leverage it. Absolutely. And that's actually, that's a, it's a beautiful segue to the, to the next question where I wanted to talk a little bit about the, the blog post that, uh, that you've created together with us, which highlighted also this fact that rather than looking at big, global, generic statements, climate action has been going more to the local level and uh, that there are specific campaigns that have promoted that and that have been really successful with having individuals at their core. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, well, I think it, I think we first became aware of kind of human beings in this climate action fight um, during COP21, and we really started to see, I mean, I'm constantly pointing to Christiana Figueres, um, head of UNFCCC at the time, because UNFCCC can tweet whatever they want, but any time that Christiana, you know, emphasized something, people really felt like they knew her and wanted to retweet her. So just she's a very well-known now, very well-recognized. If she was doing her Twitter handle or if somebody was helping her do her Twitter handle, they did a very good job of leveraging that. I would say another corporate example that everybody knows is the way that Paul Pullman, whoever's behind his handle, if he's not doing it, you know, completely himself or whatever, Paul Pullman is a reflection and a human being and it lends a whole other layer of authenticity to Unilever's work and they do a lot of corporate sustainability kind of uh, talk about what they're doing but also really want to promote just thought leadership in the space in general. So though during COP21 you really started to see that happen. And then what's so interesting to me about this blog post that, that we just, you know, using your data that we just posted recently in the Cities for Climate hashtag is that it, it is down to the local level, and there are a lot of cities that already have their Twitter handle, and maybe they have a sustainability office tweeting or whatever, but during the last six months, and particularly with the C40 Cities events, being able to see more mayors visible, and then clearly the authenticity behind that has been hugely powerful. So I think that uh, it, it's the leader in combination with their organization or their city is incredible, and we've got all uh, quite a few people that really uh, got known as individual leaders during COP21 as examples of how you can leverage your own voice um, and shape the narrative of your organization and sort of your cause using Twitter. So one of the points you highlighted in, in that blog post is that there seems to be a, a good balance between uh, male and female, so a, a gender balance in terms of the leaders that were present in the debate. Given your background in, uh, in women's leadership, do you, do you find that there's some importance in that and is there, is there more to that point than meets the eye? Yeah, thank you. That's a great question, and it is a point that's very true to my heart. I come from a very deep marketing to women background, which is segued into sustainability and leadership, and now in the climate action space and really zeroing in on cities. Um, the reason that this topic was interesting to me at all was because I did keep seeing in during COP21 and sort of this year leading into the more cities, local cities focus, is that I'm seeing more women pop up and seem to understand how to use Twitter authentically in their influence or engagement. And so that's why 
just even doing this blog post and talking with you guys about the data has stirred much more interest in me, and I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready to write another post on that topic for you. But I think the reason it's important is that if you look at women in leadership in general, they tend to, ha- they tend to lead in a different way, and it isn't women only, but it's more natural for women, it seems, to be a little bit more interested in the connections um, as opposed to just being seen as a leader at the top. So I think the fact that women are network builders and really good at it um, means that a lot of them can leverage Twitter in a really authentic way and build very strong relationships and connections, which then can be so powerfully supercharged to amplify specific cities for climate um, and climate action-related conversations. So I'm very interested in the power of women as leaders and the way that they can uniquely really leverage these networks on Twitter. That sounds awesome. We're looking forward to that post. And you've, uh, you've also brought along a highly networked woman for climate, so to speak, and another special guest. Welcome, Stephanie. And thanks so much for joining us today. Tell us a little bit more about your role as CRO and the remit for the city of Atlanta. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure, and I'm always happy to talk about the good work that we're doing in Atlanta in connection with the Rockefeller Foundation's 100 Resilient Cities program. So the program, in short, was founded by Judith Roden, president of the Rockefeller Foundation, in 2013 to celebrate the foundation's centennial. And they looked at trends happening worldwide and honed in on three major trends, and those are globalization, climate change, which we're all very much focused on with C40 cities, and urbanization. And I think it's important to note the trend with the world's population flocking to urban cores by 2050, uh, it's anticipated that 70% of the world's population is going to be in cities. So how are cities planning for the shocks and stresses that they'll experience as urban populations grow and also combining that with the fact that we've got a, a changing environment and a warming climate? And so Rockefeller wanted to leverage globalization and looking at how cities can really look to each other for support and then leveraging that with the power of nonprofits and the power of corporations to really strengthen innovative thinking. And I'm not trying to get too political here, but you're seeing more and more on a federal level that there's distrust in government and dysfunction at certain levels in in government at at the higher levels. And so, really, cities are where the action is. As my boss, Mayor Kasim Reed, likes to say, cities are where hope meets the street. You're seeing really dynamic, innovative mayors talking about climate change and and implementing strong programs that are directly affecting citizens in a real and positive way. And so Rockefeller is supporting those, scaling them up on a global level, and making sure that we're all interacting with one another and having those conversations. So it's really an important concept with with Rockefeller, and I'm just so proud to be part of it. Absolutely. That sounds like a great initiative and, uh, and, and a big and ambitious role to play there. And so within that role, that obviously includes an expectation of social media engagement as being one of the, the key channels to, to communicate, especially with urban dwellers nowadays. How do you see that aspect of it? So it's all of the above. And we're really looking at 
meeting people where they are, having community conversations and connecting with people how they want to connect with us. And so we're looking at how we are progressive and proactive in our communications. And so Twitter is a large part of that. And it's pretty amazing. I just started tweeting two years ago and I grew from a dozen followers to, all right, I got my Twitter feed up right now. I'm at 5,567. Uh, so it, the I know, woo! The power of Twitter is phenomenal. And uh, I look to Mayor Kasim Reed as an example. Uh, I'll check out how many followers he has in just a second. But he's, he's got a few more than I do. Uh, but it's just such a powerful way of connecting with people. But we're also, uh, we've, I just started an Instagram account, certainly doing Facebook, eblast. We're looking at doing some video shorts. So really making sure we're having conversations with people in the median and the form that they want to. Okay, so my boss has 283,000 Twitter followers, so he wow. set the bar really high. Yeah. <laughs> he was named, I just got to give a shout out to Kasim Reed. He was named one of the most Twittering, top Twitter mayors. Sure. Not quite sure of the official title, but he tweets a lot and he gets Excellent. retweeted a lot. Uh, so right. he's just raised the bar and shown how it's done. Wow, sounds awesome. Yeah. Uh, Andrea, I think you have a few questions for Stephanie as well. Yes, I do. And you know what I love, Stephanie, is is that the kind of the what you've talked about with the mission of a hundred resilient cities is how can cities look to each other for support? And that yeah. I in in my world it's more about sort of it isn't as consumer or citizen facing, it's more about how your organizations are supporting one another. So my excitement in, in doing this blog post this uh, and I, I'm really referring to it as the Cities for Climate one. Um, C40 Cities is a big part, but I'm looking at the hashtag Cities for Climate. I'm really okay. curious how you guys in 100 Resilient Cities or just in general in Chief Resilience Officers and Chief Sustainability Officers of all these cities are using it to support one another and to keep up with one another. And, and is that something mm -hmm. that goes to 100 Resilient Cities, or are you guys on Twitter talking and sharing it and supporting and amplifying each other's work? That's a great question, and I'm new to the 100 RC club, as we like to call ourselves, so I'm still making those Twitter connections, but okay. the week that I was named Chief Resilience Officer, or CRO, uh, we have lots of acronyms with, within 100 RC. <laughs> uh, the week I became a CRO, I got on Twitter and looked for as many CROs as I could and started following them. And I also went through the Rockefeller has a directory and they list the Twitter handles. So I tried to follow as many of them as possible and they all followed me back. I follow 100 RC at 100, uh, at 100 resilient cities. And I frequently retweet what they put out there. What I love about what they post, what Rockefeller resilient cities post is it's a lot of thought-provoking articles on what innovative cities are doing. For example, I read a post that they put out on Twitter a couple weeks ago on how you design green space to create human resiliency. So the concept mm. there is, you know, you the cities that are truly resilient are cities where neighbors look out for neighbors. For exactly. example, if there is a superstorm Sandy, the neighborhoods that fared the best were the ones where neighbors checked on one another 
Well, how do you build that? How do you create that in a city? How do you design infrastructure and green space and parks and streets and sidewalks and community so that you have social connectivity, social cohesion, social resilience? And so this whole article was how green space can really be that convener, but you've got to have not just here's a park with a playground that can draw a certain segment of people, perhaps kids and their parents or their nannies or whatnot, but can you create an urban ag space? So community is coming together and they're working on a community garden and they're sharing in the harvest and maybe there's a cultural element. Uh, We're working in the city of Atlanta with our urban ag program on a community garden uh, with a largely immigrant population and they're from Korea and they're planting a lot of plants that are native and including that in their, you know, how they cook and sharing that with their neighbors. So it's this whole idea of green space as a means of connectivity among citizens. So that's just one example of something I read on a link on Twitter through the 100 Resilient Cities feed. So that's amazing, and so that is really that if, if all the people in your roles across the who are in the resilient cities or C40 cities or, or following the cities for climate tag, there's a lot of thought leadership. I.e., it ends up being content, blog posts, and such. Yeah. That you because of the tag and because you're you've found this as a wonderful listening and learning resource. Um, you're you're seeing stuff and getting ideas, and also I would assume that when Rockefeller releases those pieces, there's a couple of, like, this city is doing this and this city is doing this. So even if you don't know anybody at that city mm-hmm. or you aren't connected with them, you can you find them because you're like, great, they're a resource in this article, let me go. So I think they, yeah. uh, 100, resilient cities, 100 Resilient Cities has become the thought leadership and sort of a curator that you everyone can turn to, and then vice versa, you guys can all start sharing little things that happen that maybe then be, are pulled into more thought leadership that Resilient Cities can share. And that's a great point. And it's lots of strong parallels with the hashtag cities for climate, which I have put out there as well. You've got all the cities, not only in the C40 network, but in the various networks that were engaged with the Paris climate talks and engaged at most recently the U.S. Conference of Mayors, the ones that were party to the Compact of Mayors. And so you get all those mayors and all their leadership tweeting out and retweeting the hashtag cities for climate. And before you know it, you've, you've got a movement. Yeah, which is amazing. And so one of the things that I've noticed, and I was watching the C40 cities event in Mexico last fall or winter, whenever you would say, and it, there are these moments where it's a conference and everybody's using it. And then it seems like it really fades off. And so I'm curious if you are finding that the cities for climate tag continues to be active and that you are all, the people in your group are really using it or if it sort of fades and how you think we, that conversation can continue? Because I think the momentum of that tag is really important now, especially in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now more than ever where we've got our share of climate deniers and we want to make sure that the real facts get out there, not just alternative facts about climate change, and we share the science. So I think now more than ever the hashtag is relevant. Uh, I do think that 
in the past year, it has been largely event-based, like you had mm-hmm. the event at the U.S. Conference of Mayors with the mayors uh, all lining up for a great photo opportunity together with the yeah. giant club yeah. of the hashtag, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, those events certainly create a surge of interest and will help generate new followers. But how you keep up that engagement, I think, is you've got to tag people which uh, I'm learning a lot from my staff. I have a lot of millennials on my team, so thanks to them, I'm learning. (laughs) When you tag, then people retweet. And also, uh, y'all do a very good job uh, doing infographics, images, you add facts. Anything like that makes it tweetable and retweetable. I think some of the infographics that y'all have put out there are are really thought-provoking. Cool. Um, Well, I'm excited. So. What I'm wondering is if you could be in a room talking with some of the other city leaders on this front and they aren't quite yet leveraging Twitter, it sounds like you, you're really diving in. I'm wondering what, what you would say and how you might convince somebody about the power of, and what we're talking about here is it's influence marketing in sort of a more consumer-facing world, but with regard to what we're talking about in climate activism or climate action for cities is influencer engagement and making sure mm-hmm. all the thought leadership is being shared. How would you describe the power of Twitter to other city leaders who aren't quite yet getting this to get them interested in, in using Twitter and forwarding the momentum? I think what's key to being engaged at the city level and knowing the amount of work that we have. So many of us are just so busy with our careers and all the different tasks that we have on our plate that we don't think that we have time to engage in social media. And we often uh, delegate it to our communications leads, which is important. Without Will, who's sitting here with me, Will Anderson, who heads up our communications platform, uh, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't have anywhere near the strong showing that we have, but it's important for the individuals to also engage. So I would stress have a strong communications team or individual in our case, because we're, we're, we have a small budget, but also you personally need to engage because you retweet and you share the information from your organization or your city. So that sharing internally helps amplify your message. And I would also stress how easy it is and how quick it is. I wait in line at Starbucks for a cup of coffee. I can send out three tweets. It doesn't take that long. And the key Mm -hmm. is to have a really strong tutorial. We had an internal uh, tutorial for all of our team. Uh, which was mostly helpful for people like me who are past 40 and needed. There were about five members of our team that really were getting educated, and the rest were teaching us. But really, within half an hour, you can learn the basics. You can learn how to tag. You can learn the importance of hashtagging. And once you just know to, to search under the hashtag, it helps you hone in on who to follow. Once you start following people, they follow back. And I think just stressing a very short investment, small investment of your time and your resources, it's pretty much uh-huh. free to tweet something, can yield uh, significant results as far as your breadth. It's global. And as far as the, the depth of knowledge that you're sharing, I mean, even though it's 
a short number of characters. Was it 170? 140, but yeah. 140. 140. Short number of characters. Whenever they stop me is when I stop <laughs> typing. But for a very short number of characters, you can you can have these links. You can have these infographics, which is why I love the infographics. You can pack a lot of information, and it really makes you hone in on what's essential. I wanted to say that I really appreciate your your point about the difference between following the organization or the City of Atlanta Sustainability Office or whatever those, those accounts are and the individual, and that kind of different people are more interested in following you than the office and vice versa. And sometimes I think that the, what's coming out of the communications office is the great stuff, the st structured stuff, the scheduled stuff, the yay, you know, the announcement, in a way more consumer or citizen-facing. And I think that... Mm -hmm. It only benefits to have the leader, him or herself, doing it as well because you catch, you know, kind of a whole – or you influence a whole other group of people as well as then further amplifying what's coming out of your communications team. So I see it as a combination of kind of professional mm -hmm. development and lead, leadership engagement combined with what your communications team is doing, and it's amazing. And so I love that you're speaking to all of that. Well, thank you. And I would also stress to public officials – whether you're elected or appointed, you're still in a public-facing position. You represent, I represent the mayor's office. I'm very mindful of that. But I'm, I put on my Twitter feed and my, my bio portion, tweets are my own. So I would stress, that's the lawyer in me, that you put out there the yeah. tweets are your own, not necessarily the organization yeah. I'm representing. Uh, I would like to give a shout-out to, we have at ATL Resilience as our Atlanta Resilience uh, tag and our other handle is ATL Sustainable, and we also have Ag Lanta Y'all, which promotes our urban ag program. And our new director of sustainability is John R. Seidel. He's at John R. Seidel, and I'm gonna check out how many he has. He has a lot. He's he's a prolific Twitterer. Um, let's see, he has. 4,921. So if he could just get 79 more followers, he's going to hit the 5,000 mark. So if any of your listeners could start following him, it could push him over to the 5,000 mark, and we'll have a party at the oh, office. Yeah. Okay. Can, I'm I sure that'll happen quickly. <laughs> I've got one more quick one before before sure. you go, and I'd like to hook into the, the bit of the conversation where we talked about going from just being an event hashtag to actually creating a movement. And while we have lots of climate change denial going on at the moment, we also have much more willingness and much more energy for people to get involved. And, and one of the things that we often tell our clients is that you need to harness that energy. So while you guys are undoubtedly really good content creators, um, I'm sure people would like to know what is your expectation of third parties, of individuals that want to get involved about them creating content that goes with your hashtags? What kind of stuff would you like to see? I think uh, facts right now really matter, and people want to make sure that we're really getting out there the science behind climate change. So I think, again, to stress my earlier point, infographics are engaging. People like to retweet images not just words. So I think getting out there real data to refute some of the information that's going out that's not, not accurate uh, on climate change is important. I think also publicizing events that are happening that are important to the 
community that's engaged in climate action. Like I know Al Gore is going to be a speaker at EcoCity World Summit 2017 in Melbourne. So that's going out there under the hashtag Cities for Climate Today. Promoting events, uh, I think, gets, gets a lot of engagement. Great. If you have any questions or comments for any of us as a result of this podcast, please don't hesitate to tweet at us at StuckyStop at Andrea Learned or at Analytica, and we'll be sure to get back to you. That's goodbye from us.